Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another edition. And I want to talk about some of the emotions involved in leaving money, especially to kids. And in episode number 28, I talked about the emotional challenges of leaving money to a spendthrift heir or spendthrift child. I'd like to take uh, a little different approach in this particular podcast and talk about leaving money to children equally or unequally. It's not very often that I read an estate plan that treats children unequally. When I do see this, uh, typically, It's because a parent is estranged from a child and leaves him or her nothing. Basically writes them out of the will. So outside of that, I I really don't see much inequality in the amounts left to kids. In estate planning, equal isn't necessarily the same as fair. And Many experts, and I have uh, been one of these, feel when it comes to the psychology that's involved in estate planning that parents divide their estates equally amongst the kids. And the main reason given for this is to help avoid any sibling rivalries and help enhance sibling relationships after the parent's death. The whole goal of leaving equally usually is to eliminate that potential for hurt feelings and perceived injustice if parents seem to favor one sibling over another financially. So that's what I want to talk about. And I want to talk about this in light of two cases that I've been aware of, each that have a little uh, different bent or circumstance to them. So the first, it, it would seem that dividing a state into equal shares for each kid would be a really obvious way to treat kids fairly. One way that this doesn't work is if the kids haven't been treated equally financially during the parent's lifetime. In other words, if a parent has given more to one child during life, it's usually a good thing if you want to treat everybody equally to level that playing field at death. And I remember a number of years ago, I I read a post by a blogger who went by the name of the financial samurai. 
I don't know if he's still writing or not. But he wrote that um, he perceived that his parents couldn't afford to send him to a private college. And to help them financially, he chose to go to a public university. Because public colleges, universities, are typically cheaper than a private. His younger sister, however, chose a private university, which cost eight times as much as the public university that he chose. After he graduated, he really worked hard to save enough to repay his parents, because his perception was, of course, that parents couldn't afford to uh, really send him to college, much less a private college. When he finally got enough together and offered the money to them 10 years after graduation, he was shocked when they declined it. They said, no, we don't need it. Only then did he learn that they had saved equal amounts for his and his sister's educations. And when he chose the less expensive school, they transferred what they saved on his tuition to help pay for his sister's more expensive private education. Now, in the, in the rest of his article, he really tried his best to uh, take the high road and assure his readers that this injustice really doesn't bother him. But when you read this, it is really clear it bothered him, and it bothered him a lot. So what can we take away from this, this particular story? Well, obviously, there's a, a ton of emotion and thoughts and... Uh, things going on here. It's just kind of amazing that the family never discussed the financial aspects of college. The no-talk rule, you know, that it's taboo to speak about money, was totally uh, in effect here. The folks never told their son that they were saving for his college education. They didn't communicate their intent to pay for it. He never asked. He just assumed that paying for college was his responsibility. So this is an example where that no-talk rule about money and those parts of us that just find it uh, too uncomfortable, too difficult to talk about money. It, it hits too many vulnerable parts of us. So we just don't talk about it. This was an example that of two kids that were clearly not treated fairly financially. And that the outcome of that with him really not being okay for, for that in college funding is far from the only way that parents treat children differently. Another common one is bailing out one child who has financial struggles, either self-inflicted or caused by outside circumstances. Parents can give loans or 
just give money to a, a child in this situation. Another one might be where uh, parents might give money to a child to start a business, or maybe they feel they owe more to a child who's been taking care of them in their old age. Whatever it is, we're talking about in some way that there's a financial inequality with a child and the uh, emotions that this brings up within the child, both that has been not treated equally, well, by that I mean that it hasn't um, it's been on the short side financially of the unequality. And then the same thing for the child that's been on the long side of the inequality. There are emotions, uh, guilt, anger, hurt. I mean, just a, a whole plethora of emotions that can go with that. One strategy for parents to to not so much directly deal with the emotions, but to make the uh, playing field a little more level, is to subtract any excess uh, funds paid to the child in their lifetime from, uh, and not given to the other one, to subtract those from their portion of the inheritance. Uh, this typically goes over pretty well. So if one child got eight times as much for education or one child was given money to start a business or buy a house and the other child wasn't, whatever that amount was, make a provision in the, in the will to give that amount off the top as a gift to the child that didn't receive anything. And something get in the weeds financially here a little bit uh, that's important to do is adjust that amount by inflation. So if you gave a hundred thousand to a child uh, 20 years ago and you're adjusting for it today in your will, you're going to want to inflate that hundred thousand so that its purchasing power is still equal to a hundred thousand in today's dollars. And that's Pretty easy to put into your to your will. Let me cover then uh, uh, another thing. So I mean, in doing that, it can absolve the difficult feeling that kids would have either be feeling guilty because they were treated better than their siblings, or feeling hurt because a sibling wasn't treated as well. Another. Um, thought that I had recently had a client and I'll call her Camellia that isn't her real name and she had four kids she had a question for me three of her kids had done really well for themselves and he, she was really proud of them uh, they each earned a six-figure salary they had accumulated a net worth even in excess of what Camellia had accumulated for herself. But there was a fourth child, and we'll call him Frederick, again, not his real name, that hadn't fared as well in life. He had been in and out of jail. He had no education. He had no net worth. even found it difficult to hold a job. So 
Camillo was really concerned for Frederick, really wanted to provide basic support for him, but she was also concerned that if she left the money um, outright to him, that it would be gone quickly. So she was thinking about leaving his share to him in trust. And this is pretty normal for uh, a parent to consider with a, a spendthrift child. And like I said, we covered that in uh, episode number 28. Also indicated that the, the, the share that would go to the other kids, you know, when you divided the estate in four, really wouldn't be meaningful to them financially. That their net worths were so high that the quarter of her estate wasn't going to make the difference for them if they were going to retire well or not. She said it would be a drop in the bucket for them financially. But whatever would go to Frederick, of course, would be really impactful. Uh, even one quarter of the estate, even more if it was 100% of her estate. And if that was invested in a way that could provide him a monthly income, it could really make a difference in his financial support. So she was wondering what she should do. Well, that's, that is a uh, sticky problem. Financially speaking, I think she's right in thinking that a trust would be a solution or even a uh, single premium annuity. We talked about that in podcast number 28 where the executor would just buy. It's an annuity, but it's an annuity that immediately pays out an income and there's no principal to ever get your hands on, so to speak. It's just a monthly income like Social Security that's there for the rest of the child's life. The problem with a trust was that the um, his share of the estate really was small enough that trustee fees would eat up the trust pretty quickly. So it would be less expensive if uh, he had the whole estate, the trustee fees. Could be a little more palatable. Or again, like I said, the single premium annuity would be four times as much, right? So the question was, well, how would the other kids feel about their brother getting everything? And we talked about probably the worst thing that she could do would be to leave Frederick everything without telling his siblings. Why would she want to do that? Well, have you ever wanted to avoid a difficult conversation? <laughs> My hand's up. I have. You know, let, let's just leave it to him and we'll let them deal with it. Because <clears throat> I don't want to deal with the conflict. There was a New York Times article on this. It's really good if you want to, to look it up by Susan Garland, ran uh, February 19th of 2021. And it was called The Unequal Inheritance. It can work or it can destroy relationships. And she wrote that unequal inheritances can trigger sibling fighting after a parent die, dies and that some of those feuds can end up in court, especially if an adult child suspects that a parent was the target of what an attorney would uh, consider undue influence by the brother or the sister who uh, 
benefited most. And whether that was real or perceived doesn't matter. A, um, a court case is a, is a court case and, and pretty unfortunate. So that's why we've got to have that difficult conversation with those, the, the kids. And even having the conversation is not necessarily going to result in a good outcome. Why? Well, sibling fallout can happen even if they were all knowledgeable of mom's intent or desire to leave everything to um, their brother. And even if they agreed to it, there's still some difficulty. And this is where difficult emotions can really become easily triggered, right? As mom is explaining this, I think wouldn't be hard for the these three siblings to logically agree that their brother needs the funds worse than they do. It wouldn't be difficult for them to agree this is a drop in the bucket. This isn't going to change my lifestyle. And that's that's where things could go several ways, but one or two major ways. One is where they absolutely would agree very cleanly. Absolutely give it to Frederick. But it wouldn't be unusual for them to have resistance, even if they didn't need it, of him receiving their share of their portion of the estate. And it wouldn't be unusual for them not to voice it. It could be very normal for them to be nodding in agreement. Yeah, mom, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we're okay with that. And feeling a lot of resistance internally. Cognitive dissonance, if you will. And it wouldn't be unusual for them to be shaming themselves for even feeling that resistance. They may not even be aware they're feeling the resistance, that it's, it's being shoved aside so much. But if they were feeling that resistance, that flinch, ooh, that, boy, that, I don't know. There could be a critic part of them that was going, you shouldn't be feeling that. I mean, this is, your brother needs it. Why? You don't need it. Why are you feeling resistance? Shame on you, in so many words. So, uh, you know, guilt and shame around that. For sure, I'm not going to bring it up. Because what will my other siblings think if I'm like, yeah, I'm not t too much on board with that. So... If they can admit to feeling that resistance, they may really, really not even know why. Just that it's there and that makes it all the more problematic. Why, why am I having this resistance? I don't even know I'm having it, but I don't even know why I'm having this resistance. Now, the, the reasons for them potentially having the resistance are so numerous, so many. I'll just throw out a couple of things. For example, they could be saying, well, wait a minute. 
I've worked hard. I've been responsible. I haven't asked mom for any money. I haven't blown it like Frederick can. If he gets his hands on the money, he'll blow it. Why should he be rewarded in this way when he has chosen, made really bad choices in his life and chosen not to do, do money well? And it, why, why should he be rewarded for that? That could be one of the many, many things. And then, of course, feeling shame around even thinking that or feeling that way. So I think the really important thing is to acknowledge the resistance. It is uh, If you're one of those kids, is to say, yeah, I, I'm feeling resistance. And the, the reasons here, we could spend the whole rest of the podcast on, on the reasons. The reasons are important. They should not be dismissed or minimized. That they're having a flinch and they're not feeling I'm so good about this. This can be really hard to come out. I think even in uh, the best of families, there could be so many emotions at play that it would be a exceedingly difficult for a family to have that honest of a discussion that, yeah, I know he needs it, but I'm really not okay with that. So what do you do if you're not going to have that discussion? And a number of folks won't. Well, there are a lot of potential solutions. The one that Camelia liked the best was to leave her estate equally to each child and then let each child decide individually if they wanted to give some or all of their inheritance to Frederick. Now she did this by adding language in the will that if any child wanted to refuse, which is called disclaiming, if they wanted to refuse the inheritance, that it would then pass to a trust that was set up for Frederick. So this decision then put the power with each child, even if their heads were nodding today. You know, that would be perfectly okay. Camilla felt this would be a good way to, for them to reaffirm that they really agreed with this when uh, she passed. And they could, they could, again, leave all of it, a part of it, whatever they wanted to do would be up to them. And situations change, right? Who knows? Now, could this arrangement still cause tensions between the, the siblings? Those that decided, yeah, I'm going to disclaim all of mine. Maybe another one disclaimed a part. Maybe another one didn't disclaim any of it, kept it all. Sure, there could still be some feelings around that. But the um, feeling of Camellia, and, and I would agree, is that this arrangement probably solved more problems than it created. So sometimes, it, you know, the, the um, typical advice from Folks like myself is, well, have the difficult conversations. But sometimes we just, even having the difficult conversations, people are in different places. 
and there's just a lot of, uh, in IFS terms, a lot of protectors, a lot of managers that are up that just will not speak the deeper truths for fear of being shamed, uh, for fear of conflict, for whatever reasons. So their heads nod, but uh, their hearts, <laughs> their hearts are wagging, right? So I hope this uh, may have given given you some ideas, uh, brought up some of the challenges around estate planning and ways to um, to help compensate and negotiate this really tricky, tricky landscape. So, again, thank you for the feedback that I get, for the, the emails, for all of you that are listening, you know, folks around the world. Uh, we're not a huge tribe, but we are a very, very focused group of people that um, really what value the emotional side of money, value, financial therapy. So I appreciate your passion and your interest in financial therapy. So you can reach out to me at rick at rickkaler.com if you have any questions. And I look forward to talking with you next time. Take care. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.